Join us at Only Believe for two Christmas Eve services on Saturday, December 24th, one at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m., featuring Christmas music, communion, and of course, a beautiful candlelight to end these services. We will also be having church Christmas morning at 10 a.m. Come early for seasonal treats. Your whole family is invited. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jesse DePlanis. I'm coming to Only Believe Church right there in Botkins, Ohio, January the 7th at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday, January the 8th at 10 a.m. We're going to have a glorious time around the throne of God. I always start my year off of 2023 right there at Only Believe Church in Botkins, Ohio. I love Peter and Phyllis Dozak. They're just such blessing of the Lord. Let me say it one, one more time. We will be there January the 7th at 6.30 p.m. on a Saturday night and Sunday morning, January the 8th at 10 a.m. Bring a friend, share a miracle, and watch God do some wonderful things. See you soon. Bye-bye. This is the story of a ragtag bunch of church members who set out to perform a Christmas play and the director who tried his hardest to just keep it all together. The glory of Christmas. Our annual Christmas show is tonight and all the hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears comes down to this very moment. And like, like any show, there's gonna be some last minute snafus. Um, 
Like, like for example, my middle-aged Mary, she's been having contractions for about six, 16 hours. My Joseph hasn't memorized all his lines. Uh, Amy? Mary, my, <laughs> my dear Mary, it's been a long journey. My wise man is convinced that the nativity set will collapse. And my shepherd can't find a lemon for his tea. Articulatory agility as a marvelous ability, manipulating with dexterity that. We are telling the most beautiful and important story that's ever been told about an event that changed the We've lost the lamb. Mm -hmm. Quick, everyone make lamb noises. Call her back to the flock. He knows the lamb's a dog, right? Medical experts actually do not recommend this method for uh, dealing with panic attacks. But my mom recommends lavender behind the ears. Get away from me. I'm calling an ambulance. I think I'll be fine. It's for me. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, and unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. I have this long-held tradition, I guess you could call it. Every year during the performance, I, uh, I step off the stage and leave the building. I just want God to do what God does. And the shepherds came with haste, and they and found Mary, Mary and Joseph, Joseph and the and baby. The babe lying in the manger. Doesn't matter where you see the nativity story, whether it's on a street corner or, or in a church or even on your neighbor's mantle. When you see it, you, you have to consider it then and there. Are you willing to kneel at the manger? Will you believe in the miracle of Christmas, the glory of Christmas? Trust that this is the way that God chose to save us all. And all who heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. Glorifying and worshiping God for all the things that they have seen and heard as it was said unto them. Amen. Oh, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Only Believe this morning. 
We're so glad that you've chose to join us this Sunday and spend your time with us. If you're a live streamer this morning, whatever platform you're watching from today, we say welcome. You're a part of our family too. If you're a first time guest this morning, there's a QR code either on our screen or the back of your pew that if you just click on, it will take you to get more information about your church and you can do a whole lot of stuff there and let us know that you're here. We want to know that you visited us today. Um, I got one announcement and then we're gonna get straight into um, some worship where we get to just share our heart with Jesus and just really worship the true King. Take our eyes and our focus off everything else. But I wanna to talk to you about 21 days of prayer and its importance in our church. In Acts 2.42, the early church, meaning the very church that existed after Christ went to the cross and rose from the dead, was they gave themselves to four things. One was the doctrine of the apostles, and that's what we do on Sunday when pastor preaches and shares the word. Two, they gave themselves to fellowship, one with another. They loved one another. They shared in each other's grief. They shared in another's victory. They carried one another's burdens, right? And that's what we do together. They also gave themselves over to communion, the breaking of bread as it's called in the Bible. We have communion tables up here that you can come and partake of communion anytime you want during the service. We welcome you to do that and remember what was done for you and I. But fourth, they gave themselves to prayer. We do one, two, and three really well, but sometimes we fall a little short in the prayer category because it's when we have time. I'm asking you this year, 2023, to make a precedent on prayer in your life. I'm asking you to come expectant for 21 days of prayer with a list of what you would like to see change in your life, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, or financially. Or maybe you're not even coming to prayer for yourself, but for your family, because they really need a breakthrough. Come expecting something, because I'm telling you in these 21 days, it can be life-changing if we will allow it to change our life. Amen? Stand to your feet this morning. This is a time when we get to be thankful. This is a time where we get to rejoice with our Savior. I'd like you to grab the hand of the person next to you, and I'd like you to look at them and say, I'm thankful God died for you. This morning, let's be grateful in our place of worship today. Let's lift our hearts up to Christ. And in this season, stop thinking about everything that you've got to do and who you gotta buy for and what presents under the tree you've gotta to count to make sure everyone's equal. And let's just remember the true one gift today that we're the most thankful for. And that's the son named Jesus. Amen. Lift your hands and praise the Lord.
Just when I ran down the road, I met a man I didn't know, and he told me that I was not alone. He picked me up, turned me around, placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, because he healed my heart, changed my name. Forever free, I'm not the same. I think of master, I think of savior.
get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, oh, get up out of that grave. Oh, get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, oh, get up out of that grave. Oh, get up, get up, get up.
lost a battle. today, if you're going through a battle, I want to challenge you to come down here and finish that battle. If you're dealing, I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. If it's a mental battle, physical battle, I don't care what it is. God doesn't care either. He's already finished it. So if you're dealing with that, we're going to sing this fourth bridge here and we're going to worship. And I encourage you to come down here. And let God be God. Let God be God. All right? Oh, I've got a promise. Oh, I've got a promise. Oh, we've got a promise. We've got a promise. We've got a promise. We've got a promise. Oh, we've got a promise. Oh, we've got a promise. I've got a promise. We've got a promise. We've got a promise. Oh, we've got a promise. Oh, come on, we've got a promise. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Oh, we've got a promise. I've got a promise. Oh, I've got a promise. Yes. Oh, I've got a promise. Yes. Oh, I've got a promise. I've got a promise. Oh, I've got a promise. I've got a promise. Oh, he's got an answer. He's got a promise.
Most beautiful, most beautiful. 
just one look everything changes i'm captivated i'll never be the same it's with just one look everything changes i'm captivated i'll never be only takes one house of the Lord. And if, if God's already given you a promise, and he's already said yes and amen to that promise, it's already finished. It's already done. Then it's time to celebrate. Then it's time to praise him and give him the glory that's due to him this morning. It's already finished. It's already done. So there is joy in the house. Look at someone today and say, there's joy. There's joy. There's joy. the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. Yeah. There's 
There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh, we shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Because he hung up on that cross and he rose up from that grave. My God's still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out your praise. Cause we were the bakers, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Cause we were the bakers, now we're royalty. The prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in Shout out your praise. Ten years ago, I was sitting over there in the risers at a service, and the Lord said, nudged me, I want you to do something really hard. Have you ever felt that? You know, the Lord says, I want you to go do X, and it either makes you cry, but you don't want to do it. You hesitate so long that you miss it, or you choose to obey the voice of the Lord. And that day, he said, write out a check and give it. And it was a really big number to me at that season of my life, and I cried. I still remember sitting up there, and I remember the feeling of giving up control of my money. And you know, I chose to listen to the voice of the Lord like it says in 1 Samuel 15, where Samuel tells Saul the king, 
what you did was wrong. It is better to obey the voice of the Lord than to give ritualistic sacrifices and offerings of animals. And obeying the voice of the Lord can cost you something. I wrote the check and then I forgot about it. And what I didn't know at that time was that I was internally really sick. A few months later, I started to have the physical symptoms. And I'm a national tennis professional instructor by trade, so I'm really active in my head moves back and forth like this all day. And I got to the point where I couldn't stand. I was really dizzy and I had really bad headaches. My parents were driving me to my job back and forth in the Dayton area. And you would think, you should go to the doctor. I was 27 and I had never been sick, so I thought I'll just ride it out. It's just some wacky thing, it's no big deal. I would joke, I definitely don't have a brain tumor or anything. It's no big deal. And finally, when I got to the point where I was laying on the floor of the office in between my lessons, I realized I need to go to the doctor. Like, I can't, I can't work. I had to stop working. And I went to the doctor, and they said, oh, you have a brain tumor. Oh, and the physician said, you're probably going to die. And a few days later, I went, and I, I had the brain surgery. And the surgeon said, hey, guess what? You're going to live. No big deal. Go back to life as normal. If you've ever had any part of your body cut open, you may or may not ever go back to life as normal. What I didn't know at 27 was how big medical bills could be, especially when you've spent an extensive amount of time at the Cleveland Clinic. And so I'm at home not working yet, I'm still recovering, and the insurance company says we don't wanna pay any of those six-figure amounts. And I was a physical wreck, but I became an internal wreck full of anxiety because I didn't know what fear could feel like for financial giants. And the Lord had a plan. Jessica last week, when she gave her, her message, her testimony during the offering, she had given generously years prior and forgotten. And the Lord brought the fruition of that gift that she had given him back to her life when she needed it. She impacted somebody but he impacted her. You know, the Lord is like a parent. He knows what you're going to need later. And he knows for the growth of you as a human in his kingdom, he has to push you. And so all of a sudden, in one moment of time, the insurance company said, okay, we'll pay it all. And I was like, wow. And I started to remember. My husband said, I remember the day that you remembered you had given that seed. He said, I remember watching you cry because I started to calculate. And so all my medical bills were paid. My job had held a benefit for me and had given me a check to the dollar amount I needed that I would have received had I been working. And then they kept my job indefinitely until I had recovered enough to come back. And so I sat down and I calculated and pastor, it was over 105 times what I had given when I cried. So I remember the tears I cried when I wrote that check. I remember that feeling. But the tears I cried when I saw the faithfulness of God to his word mark me forever. That is the only reason I could even say anything today. There's a physical scar on my head, but it's a daily reminder that I can trust God. So you may be facing a financial giant. You might know someone. You may only have two pennies today. But Jesus has a word for you in the scripture, but he also has a word from his heart for you as an individual. 
So I ask you, what is the Spirit of the Lord saying to you today? You know that there's a person in your row probably who's dealing with something you may never know, but you are the physical hands and feet of Jesus, and that's all Pastor Nicole does with the finances you give as she disperses them abroad. So you may have a change in your life if you listen to the voice of the Lord, but you will for sure have a testimony. So I ask you, the Lord says that listening to his voice is paramount to him because that shows your faith in Jesus Christ, obedience, listening. And what did the Lord say when he comes back? He's looking for faith on the earth. What is he saying today to you? Please close your eyes. Holy Spirit, if there's someone who has a giant, will you give them the courage to believe? And if there's someone who knows of a giant in someone's life, will you give them the word and the physical manifestation to help them? And for the person like the lady in Luke that Jesus noted when she threw in all she had into the treasury box, he said, you see that lady? She's given more than anyone with surplus. I thank you that you have a word for each season and your word does not return void to this people in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bring out the buckets, please. Please come forward. Hallelujah. Now, if you're already dead, I'll just leave and let you die here. Praise God. Come alive. Amen. We got something to say. We got something to do. Remember, we sang that song, I'm not going to be quiet. I'm not going to keep silent. Amen. Praise is one of the great proclamations of faith. It is a language of faith. We need to use it. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to preach to you today about how Phyllis has been treating me. No, that's a... Yeah, hallelujah. And I want to talk to you today about Jesus lived life. Now, we wouldn't think that Jesus, the Son of God, would have had problems in his life. But he did. And he had problems in his life. He was tempted in every way that we were. In other words, every problem brings an opportunity
to handle it wrong. But Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, yet he sinned not. Jesus lived life. Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14. This is one of the great foundational stones of our faith. Now, there are many people, cults, modern-day science, many false theologians and theological viewpoints, false prophets that deny the virgin birth. They even say that it's impossible. Well, before they ever thought about saying it, it already been said. It's not impossible with God. Amen? Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. This is a promise of the incarnation of Christ, God becoming flesh to redeem or to have a purpose to complete. Let's go to Mark, the 10th chapter in verse 45. Mark 10, 45. I want to lay some of these scriptural bases. We might say, well, I know that. I, I know that. I know that we know everything. But we should never get tired of rehearsing those things that we have adhered to or believed in. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life for a ransom of many. Jesus came with a purpose. He did not just come for some unknown reason. He came for a divine purpose in the counsels of God. And so Jesus comes not to be ministered to, but to minister to. Jesus was a servant. A servant is someone that does the will of another without any expectation of a return or of his own initiative or well-being. Notice what it says, that a Jesus came to be a servant, to minister. The word minister simply means to be a waiter to cater to somebody else's present need. Jesus came to minister, to serve, really like a Christian deacon. That means that they were to care for other people. They were to use their talents and their skills to minister to someone else that their life could be 
exhorted, strengthened, encouraged, enriched. And Jesus came to be a servant, to minister to you and I. He came not for his own purpose. He came for a God purpose. And Jesus knew very well what he was getting into. He was coming into a fallen world, a world that was godless, a world that was mindless of God. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3.16. And again, I've got a whole collage of scriptures here, but it's important that we look back at them. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then it declares that God, or the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. This is what is being declared by Timothy. Now here we have hundreds of years later, Timothy is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and what does he do? He tells us the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. It's important that you and I believe this, that we believe this, not just that, oh yeah, well, Jesus was born in a manger. It's far more than just that. And it says, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up unto glory. Then if we could have Romans 8, 3. Again, these are all contributing to our faith that Jesus was God made flesh. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his son, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus took up on him, not the nature of angels, but the nature of man. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, it condemned the life that lived after the flesh and did not live according to the will and the purpose of God. Now, let's go to Colossians 2.9. You say, man, you're going to take us through the whole Bible? Well, yeah, we got the whole day, hallelujah. And uh, Colossians 2.9, and it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead in a physical form. Now, before Jesus came, there was no revelation of God or no visible evidence of God and His will. And if you'll go to Colossians 1.14, I believe it is. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of of sins why Jesus came all right let's go to Hebrews 2 9 
You didn't know there were so many books in the Bible, did you? Hallelujah. Hebrews 2.9. And it says, but now we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. That word angels there is, has to do with deity. For the suffering of death. Notice that Jesus made lower than the angels for a purpose, the suffering of physical death. Crowned with glory and honor, that he may by the grace of God should taste death for every man. This is called the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. He takes the place of sinners. Isaiah 53 1 down through 9 describes it perfectly. Next verse. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Next verse. For both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I what? Sing and praise thee. I'll tell you what, it irks me, but I'll bet it really irks God for people to be quiet when they got so much to be grateful and to sing about. Well, that's just not me. Get over yourself. Amen. Praise God. Sing. If you don't, the stones will cry out. Now, next verse. And again I will put trust in him, and again behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Verse 14. For so much then... As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same so that he could die. He could not die as God, but he could die in becoming like man. Death demands a payment. Sin demands the payment of death and it says and he took up on him of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death and that is the devil Jesus came as a man he came in a body prepared for him Hebrews 10 5 it says, thou hast prepared a body for me. Now that simply means that man, Adam, he had fallen, yet God comes and prepares a body in the womb of Mary. The blood is the blood of God. Mary, which is a woman, conceives that seed forms a body, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, so we have to understand that Jesus comes 
with a cause. Somebody say a cause. He knew that you and I needed redemption. He understood that there was only one way to buy that redemption, and that was for sin to be paid. In other words, Jesus dies for us, not for his own sins, but he dies for our sins. Now, Jesus comes into the world as a man. He comes into a fallen world and comes in the likeness of a fallen man. But he's not a fallen man, but he comes in the likeness of that fallen man. Therefore, Jesus comes into a world that is ruled by Satan, ruled by the curse, a world void of any type of hunger for God. Now, that's the world that Jesus comes into. That's the condition that he arrives in the manger with. He rises in the manger, he leaves a throne, but is born in a lowly manger because man has fallen. Though he was to be Lord over all creation, now he lies in the shadow of all creation. So we see that Jesus, can I go to Romans 3.10? This is the condition of the world. Now I want you to see it because sometimes we think we got it rough. But Jesus comes into the world knowing how man thinks about God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh God. Somebody say none. We used to be among those numbers. Jesus comes into the world where nobody is interested in God. You think it's tough for you to witness and to tell people about Jesus? What if there was no one that sought God? And you had to come and you had to share the good news about God loving the world. Well, that was tough. Let's go. And then it says... They are all gone out of the way. They are all together unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is like an open sepulcher, and their tongues, they have used, used deceit. The poison of the asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith to them who are under the law that every man's mouth may be stopped and that the whole world would be guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the flesh there shall no, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, and by the law is the knowledge of 
sin. Now that is the world that Jesus comes into. I think it might be repeating itself in the 21st century. But Jesus comes in, and if we are going to follow Jesus, we need to see that the world is still in the same condition even though God has offered them redemption. Amen? So we must understand that in the world that we live in, we kind of are like, uh, how do I want to phrase it? How many of you remember the upper room where they had the Passover? You remember that? There were 12 disciples set around and one was a thief. We ought to get rid of that Judas. Tell you what, he's rotten to the core. But there were other people at that table. Following Jesus, but not fulfilling his example. There was James and John. You remember them guys? Let's go to Matthew 20, 20. James and John sitting at the table of Jesus. They were just like many Christians today. We follow Jesus, but we simply... Could I say, dress for the occasion, but never prepared to walk the walk. And so, here we see in Matthew 20, 20. Where are you, Matthew 20, 20? Well, you're only in 18, there you go. Matthew 20, 20 says these words. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons and worshipped Jesus, desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said unto him, Grant unto these my two sons that they may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left hand in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you not able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, Well, of course we are. And he said unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of the cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand or on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given unto them for whom my Father has prepared it. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against those two brothers. Sound like a great Christian gathering. But Jesus called them unto him and said, 
ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they are that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or your servant for your promotion. And whosoever will be the chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man, <coughs> excuse me, Son of Man came not to be ministered, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, the first thing we see is, number one, John, James and John, and their mama have totally tried to tilt the cart that they're riding on. They want things their way. I told you this sounded like a good Christian gathering. And we would say at first glancing at this story, well, I'm not like John and I'm not like James. No, man, no, no, we're not like that. But let's look at ourselves. Do we not see self-ambition in much of what we do with people around us? Don't we look at people and we kind of diagnose them to see if they can help our program or our promotion, our call or our ministry? Do, not look, do we not look at people and say, how could they help with what I want to accomplish? Self-ambition is a great blinder. But what we need to do is we need to start following Christ and not just dress for the occasion. And so we turn to God when we need God to help our program or when we need God to help our idea or when we think that we could get ahead, we want God's power involved. We want to dress for the occasion, get the results, but we never really want to be a disciple of Jesus. And the fear of that in my life and in the heart of the body of Christ is that we don't even recognize that we're like James and John. John was known as the disciple of love. Sounded like it when he wanted to call fire down on Samaria. And then we realize that we want to use people to get an inside track, to get an advantage, to get ahead. It's amazing to me how interested people get when they find an easy route 
to pie-in-the-sky prosperity. When we need God's wisdom, we ask for it. But we don't depend on him at any other time. Now, I'm just saying this. We're going to get into Jesus live life. But I just want to show you the type of people he lived it with. Self-promoting. Get ahead. She could have said, Jesus, that they would follow you and you would complete the work that you began on them on the shores of Galilee. Jesus, that they might finish their course and they could hear, well done, good and faithful servant. She's not interested. She wants them dressed for heaven, but she's not really interested in them making it. John and James in this story shows us just how usury motivated we are. And we don't want to be that. Could I get an amen? I know, praise God, that you aren't like that. Jesus came as a light. Somebody say a light. He came as a great light into the region and the shadows of those that sat in death. What did he come as a light for? He came as a light an example, please listen to me, of what righteousness, love, and faith could do when one put their self in the hands of God. Jesus came to show us how righteous men live. He came to show us in a godless world he came in the likeness of man to express the way that God would live if he was a man. The question is, when we look at these men and we look at Jesus, is that what we are attempting to do? Jesus is our example. He showed us how to live with God in charge. Remember, he said, I do nothing nor say nothing except I hear and see my Father do it. Now, I know that that is a far stretch that we would literally put ourselves in the hands of a just God. I know today that it's foreign thinking that we would actually trust God in everything and that when we did something, we did it right or we did it the right way. Remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God in his right way of doing things and all these things shall be added unto you. We so struggle like James and John, 
how it was unveiled about their ambitions just to be recognized as those that were going to sit beside Jesus. Our ambition is not that. Our ambition is to reflect who God is when he has our life. Jesus said, don't you know that when you have seen me, you have seen the Father? Is that the motivation of every believer? We worry about trivial things. Well, what, what, what if they say this about me? What if this goes wrong? What, what if, what if, what if? It doesn't matter. Those trivial things just simply locate us to the place that we have no faith in God. Trivial things. Matthew 11, 1 through 6. Could I have Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 1 through 6. Hmm. And it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And he said unto them that he, that he should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Jesus, when he walked on earth, now listen, please listen. He was a need meter. Jesus didn't need a physician, yet he became a physician to the sick. Jesus cared about lifting people up, not just about being above people. He said he preached the gospel to the poor. And that was one of the criteria of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, the servant of God. So Jesus was a need meter. He wanted people to rise up, he wanted for people to prefer others above themselves. Now, I'm saying this is because Jesus still lives today. And he should be living in us. And when people come in contact with us, shouldn't they say, I think I've had an encounter with a Christian. Jesus 
was interested in encouraging John the Baptist's faith. When we come together, should not everybody see the Father nature in us saying they care about my faith? I mean, I'm not proud of the fact that, you know, people leave a church. I mean, I'm also less proud that people sat beside them don't even care. Remember when Jesus come, he left the 99 and went after the one. Now, I know that there's comfort and warmth and, you know, fellowship among the 99, but they really aren't important because their faith is not being challenged. Yep, let's go to John, the seventh chapter, one through ten. So Jesus wants us to be interested in people that have not arrived, the poor. Well, Jesus said they'd always have the poor with them. That's right, that means that your work is never done. It doesn't mean we just accept that they're, they're just broke. No, it means that we need to be about the Father's business. Jesus was. He was an encourager of people's faith. And it says then, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. For he would not walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Jesus faced danger. In his life, he faced danger. He faced people that had a heart and a mind to kill him. And now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. And his brethren therefore said unto him, Hey, depart thence and go up to Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. And there was no man that doeth anything in secret, for he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. And Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. And the world cannot hate you, but it hateth me. How would you like to be filled with everybody around you hating you because you were doing right? Because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. But go ye up at this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. And when the brethren were gone up, then when he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Wow. You ever had family problems? 
when Jesus lived on earth, he had family problems. Now, his mom would come home probably every day and tell of the great wonders that had been done. She probably brought Mary Magdalene in. The guy said, oh, my God, now mom's going to make this a house of prostitutes. Oh, my word, mom's bringing that leper home. What's wrong with her? They saw the miracles. They saw the things that Jesus did. Yet they did not believe in him. Are a lot of your problems in your household with your loved ones, your in-laws, those that come and go, those that are cousins, uncles, is a lot of it because they don't believe in you? They don't believe what you say. They don't believe what you do. They just think you're crazy when you pay your tithe. Well, Jesus had family problems. And this family is not silent. Buddy, they're just spewing what they think. What do you think Jesus did? Have John and James come over for supper? Call fire down? What do you think he did? Well, Jesus knows how to resolve family issues. And if you will pray, God will give you wisdom. Wisdom that is beyond your years to resolve family problems. I'll tell you how to quit arguing. Just make out all the time. You ever argued, David, with Sharon's lips over your lips? David, did you? Did you, David? You were yelling, let me go. You were arguing with your wife while she was kissing you. Let me see that. Could, could you please show us that little trick? That's like trying to talk with a mouthful of food. You, you can't do that. How, how do you do that? Do you do that, Randy? No what? You never kiss her or no what? Uh, can't argue when I kiss her. Okay, all right. Can't argue. So, you notice that these people are arguing. They're disputing the identity of Jesus. You have to be wise enough to maneuver that. Now, Phyllis's brothers and sisters are... What would you call them? My yeah. Not blessed, but they are kind of stirrer-uppers. They're pot stirrers. They never think there's enough vegetables in the pot, so it's always got to be boiling. Boiling. So Phyllis's brother used to come to our house when I first got saved. I thought it was my job to train him in the way of the Lord. Well, every time he come, I would get so mad. After I got so mad, I felt so bad, 
that I had to repent for getting mad for trying to protect Jesus. Finally, one day, I'm praying about it. I'm thinking, God, this guy pushes my buttons. I'm telling you, I, oh, God, what am I going to do with him? The Lord told me, quit talking to him about doctrines. Just talk to him about forgiveness. So I quit arguing with him about the Holy Ghost, about this or about that. And so I would say when he called me, I'd say, oh, you've been listening to Charles Stanley. I said, well, what did Charles say? So he'd tell me what Charles said. I'd say, well, if you believe that, that's what you ought to do. Or I'd, he'd say, well, what does this scripture mean? I'd say, well, what's it mean to you? I become wise as a serpent. You know, I would just finagle my way around. But sometimes we think that we are supposed to fill the pockets of everybody around us with the pearls of God. Don't talk to sinners about tithing, about giving. Don't talk to sinners about doctrines, the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. Talk to them about redemption. And if you'll just do that, then God will convict them. Preach the gospel. Don't instruct in doctrine. Amen? All right. John 7, 37, Jesus spoke to us that out of our bellies would run rivers of living water. Well, as we pray in the Holy Ghost, we can draw wisdom from the wells of the Holy Ghost. And God can give us direction that just one word will curb and stop a war. Jesus dealt with disappointment. Disappointment. How did... Peter was coming to him and he said, bid me to come if it's you. Jesus said, well, come. So Peter gets out there and about halfway out, he starts doubting. He starts looking around. The waves are splashing. The wind's blowing. They were splashing and blowing before Peter ever got out of the boat. But he took his eyes off of Jesus. We know the story. He sank. You think Jesus wasn't disappointed? He said, where was your faith? Doesn't it sound to me like Jesus said, oh man, you made it halfway. No, he was disappointed that Peter did not believe when he gave him the opportunity to experience a miracle. What did Jesus do with that disappointment? Reached down and gave him a second chance. See, Jesus lived real life. And you're going to have to give people 
second chances. Even though your expectations are higher than their potential, you are still going to have to get beyond your disappointment. I kind of got this. Expect nothing except the worst. Do you get disappointed? Not many times. I don't expect people to keep their word. I expect myself to keep my word. I don't expect you to show up on time because you said you were going to be there. Why? Well, it's just that old Adamic nature that you're always wrestling with. So I realize that things can happen. Your neighbor's cat can get stuck under the hood of your car. And you find it halfway when you stop at a red stop sign. It's a meow, meow. Man, what's wrong with that car? Well, it's the cat. That's a good way to get the cats out of the neighborhood, but you have to realize that things go wrong in life. Well-doing and well-planned things always break down. So don't get disappointed. My grandkids tell me, okay, Papa, we're coming down. That means this year. We fried chicken, we got mashed potatoes, man, we got hot heads, we got, you know, wings, we got everything. We spent $500 on this promised visit, and them little rugrats don't even show up. What do you do? Get over your disappointment. How about betrayal? Peter denied Jesus three times in his darkest hour. How about being lied to? Oh, I will never leave thee, Jesus. First one to bail out. What do you do? You go on and treat it as if it never happened. And maybe in the forgiveness and your explanation that they'll rise to occasion and quit lying and they won't betray you. How about abandonment? You ever felt abandoned? Well, people just don't understand me. They, just, they, they won't help me. They won't get on board. and They won't support my ministry. They won't support... Jesus was facing death by crucifixion. And he took men with him to pray. And they all went to sleep. They abandoned Jesus in his hour of need. He never held it against them. He understood the fight. The flesh is weak. How about opportunities to be offended? Luke 17, 1. Forgive your brethren seven times 70. Whew. What do you think Jesus thought 
when he looked back over his disciples, and John and James and Judas stealing the money or running off, why did Jesus let a thief in charge of the treasury when every day or every week he was stealing money? Why would Jesus do that? He believed in the potential of an encounter with God and a life viewed by another. Jesus actually believed that if they see me, they will do what I do. Jesus said, forgive men seven times 70. We have to forgive people. Jesus had to forgive people while he lived on earth. And we have to forgive people. As followers of Jesus, we have to forgive. Amen? Hallelujah. So for those of you that have been discouraged and disappointed, it is kind of a way of life. You just got to be able to just lick your wound and get up and go on. And expect something better next time. Never give up on people because Jesus has never given up on us. Never. Now, the Bible tells us that whatsoever we blessed will be blessed. Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a sinful life, died on the cross, rose from the dead for the sole purpose to turn us from our iniquity that he might bless us. That he might bless us. That's his purpose. He really believes that the goodness of God will keep people sin-free. It will lead us to repentance. The goodness of God can overcome the bitterness of life. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands up towards heaven. Father, thank you that in the midst of a godless world, you still saw through the eyes of love the need that could be met for all of mankind. All of mankind. You sent your beloved son, sinless, to minister to us, to give his life for a ransom. He experienced life just like we do. Therefore, he is able to help them to the uttermost. He is able to continually intercede for us. 
successfully knowing where we are he has already been he's able to help those that are broken he's able to help those that are discouraged disappointed weary God Jesus carried out your will showed us how to live life by righteousness by love and by faith hallelujah hallelujah father we thank you so much may I have David you're going to do this section Bill Randy you'll do this section Get up here, Randy. Bill, would you come over here? Nikki, you do this section. Gerald, you and Ed would do this section. One on this end and one on that end. And what I want you to do is I want you to go down and ask each family their name. Are you like the horse with no name? Okay, all right. And I want you to just take them, Ray and Annie Mooney. Moody. And I want you to say, I bless you with the blessings of your redemption. I want you to do that to each family. I want you to mention their name and say it. Can you do that? All right, go ahead. Hallelujah. Nikki, go ahead. Here, Phyllis, you can do this right here. John, can you and Nita start right down that aisle? Marge, can you and Loretta start down this aisle? Give me one on this side. And uh, Loretta, you take this right here. Marge, you go right down through there. my word I thought that was James Bond I don't guess it is hallelujah we're going to sing my song bless me going in going in yeah let's do that one <laughs> 